Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, a head-to-head, what is the best David Bowie album? Micaiah, you picked Station to Station, the 1976 album. I chose The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars from 1972. What do we need to know right up top about these two albums? Well, Ziggy Stardust comes out in 1972 at pretty much the height of like the glam era uh, in England at the time, which is a, a huge sensation. I mean, after the Beatles broke up, I mean, this is kind of the next thing, right? That really takes hold of, you know, British youths, you know, until punk rock. But it very much is a precursor to punk rock. Um, for a number of reasons that we'll probably get into as we actually discuss the album. Fifth album Mm -hmm. um, by David Bowie, whereas Station to Station, which comes out in 1976, was his 10th album. It's Um, wild to be that he releases another five albums between these two. Yeah, I mean, this is a time where artists were releasing an album a year and sometimes, in Bowie's case, two albums a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about it, it's just like, wow, he was changing that quickly. Yeah. You know, like his whole persona and his sound was developing and evolving that fast. You know, it's it's really incredible. Uh, but Station to Station um, isn't glam and it isn't let's dance. You know, it's, it's this kind of, it's not Young Americans. It's a little bit of all of those and it's neither of those. It's this... Uh, but it's only six songs. You know, it's this very unique album that happens during one of the most difficult times in Bowie's life where he's just pretty much living in L.A., shooting movie and doing cocaine, drinking milk and eating peppers all the time um, and just not taking elevators because he's a paranoid, you know, coke addict. You know, I mean, it's, so it's a troubling time um, and a fantastic album. Of course, that doesn't mean that the only way to create a fantastic album is if you're a troubled person. We all know that's just a an awful myth that you have to be, you know, go through some sort of tragedy to produce great art. That's, I don't, you know, that's just categorically false. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, right, Station Station is the product of a very um, interesting and troubling time in Bowie's life. It's my personal favorite. Um, so it's going to be interesting to to put these two up against each other. Um because I think that there are a lot of right answers for Bowie as to what's the best. And I think that's why it's taken us so long to get here. I've been nominating Station to Station since season one because it's my favorite Bowie. And I know that Bowie's going to be on our top 100 list. Um, but, Rob, I know you've always been conflicted. That's why, that's why we never – it's why it's taken until season three to get here because you've, you've gone back and forth on kind of what you think should be the Bowie pick. Yeah, so for me, Low is my favorite David Bowie album and really has always been my favorite David Bowie album. It's the first of the Berlin Trilogy. It's his first album working with Brian Eno, who's one of my all-time favorite producers. Um, But Ziggy Stardust is an album that I think is more recognizable, I think means more, I think has a bigger cultural impact. And in... It's also the album that has 
traditionally been the highest ranking David Bowie album in any list that gets made. Mm -hmm. And I think we only need to look at, you know, the Rolling Stone 500, the the most recent iteration puts Ziggy Stardust at 40 and puts Station to Station at 52. The NME 500 that came out in 2013 put Ziggy Stardust at 23 and Station to Station at 53. I think this is... I think this is a great David Bowie album and, and maybe this might be, you know, normally we don't do this until the end of a podcast episode, but maybe just to help our listeners understand why it took so long for us to get here. Let's maybe each share our five favorite David Bowie albums, not in, not in ranked order. Just what are your five favorite David Bowie albums? In the order in which they were released, and I have this at the ready because I, th- I think about his discography a lot. In the order in which they were released, I would say Honky Dory, mm-hmm. Ziggy Stardust, Station to Station, uh, and then Low and Heroes, right? So it's that, that, that breaking into the scene, right? Honky Dory and Ziggy Stardust kind of glam period, that like bridge album, that transition album, you know, which... He says in TVC and one five over and over again, right? Transition, transmission, transition, transmission, you know, uh, that gets us to that Berlin period. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's no mystery why these five albums would be on there. And if I'm honest, like Honky Dory and Ziggy are pretty much at a tie and same with low and heroes. They're almost like they're really close to each other. So I feel like I could cheat and squeeze into two more albums. Um, <laughs> because those actually feel like a tie. Uh, but those, those are the five that I, those are the CDs I keep in the car. Um, those are the ones that I return to the most. It, so again, I think this reveals what a, what a difficult thing this is. Our lists are so similar. So in the order that they were released, mine are Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust, Station to Station, Low, and Let's Dance. Heroes would be number seven for me. Um, scary monsters would be six. And so that similarity between our favorite Bowie albums, what we think maybe are the best Bowie albums reveals a part of the problem when you're taking an artist that is this unique in and of himself and who has changed so much over the course of his career. It's really hard to find one album that you feel like that's the David Bowie pick. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're going to have a conversation about Ziggy Stardust and Station to Station, but we are not going to have this conversation alone. We are joined by a returning guest, the one and only Carl Wilson. Tell us about our guest, Micaiah. Well, Carl was here for our Talking Heads episode, and he helped us decide uh, between uh, Fear of Music and Remain in Light. Um, so I guess it, it is pretty fitting that he would also help us out with David Bowie. I think that those two artists are, are pretty similar and they share a connection with Brian Eno, of course. Uh, Carl, uh, he uh, wrote the Let's Talk About Love book on the 33 and the Third series, which has its own expanded edition. Um, so, I mean, he is he's one of our favorites, one of our favorite writers out there, one of our favorite people to talk to about music. And when I sent him the list of albums uh, for this season, uh, he was he was excited to talk about Bowie, which makes me excited uh, to talk about Bowie with the three uh, the three of us today. So, yeah, me too. Um, listener, I'm going to go ahead and warn you now. 
this is probably going to be a long episode. There's going to be a whole lot of David Bowie music, which is nothing at all to complain about. There's going to be a whole lot of me and Micaiah and Carl Wilson talking about David Bowie, but it's going to be a fun ride. So let's take a quick break and let you hear from our sponsors. And then we'll be back with our guest, Carl Wilson. I want to take a second and tell you a little bit about Mirror Coffee Roasters. Mirror Coffee Roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee, farm to cup. They're here to elevate your home coffee experience and help you to reflect what's good. Mirror Coffee Roasters are based in Bellingham, Washington, but they are bringing you the finest coffees from all around the world with sustainability as their first priority. Just three years old, Mirror Coffee Roasters are getting set to launch an entire new lineup of coffees. So check them out at mirrorcoffeeroasters.com. I'm glad you are here to talk about David Bowie. Um, I guess we should just maybe get into that kind of stuff. So why did you choose David Bowie as the artist that you wanted to talk about? Well, out of the things that you were um, looking at this season, first of all, I felt like you know, um, generationally, I'm in a position where, you know, these albums like, you know, sort of this sort of scary monsters era, um, Bowie was happening when I was first like collecting music as a, as a young teenager. And so, so Bowie was, was kind of a revelation to me among the things that were happening at the time and kind of a doorway into a lot of other things. So that's, so in that sense, I have a kind of comfortable familiarity as kind of a lifelong listener to Bowie. Mm -hmm. um, but on another level, I think that, you know, 
as has become more obvious and discussed since his death, you know, Bowie's shadow falls really heavily across pop music and, you know, particularly as an artist who's influenced other artists and kind of the whole idea of what's possible for somebody in, in popular music to do and ways to shape a career, ways to shape an image, all of those kinds of things. You know, he's just huge on that level. And I find, I think there are very few like contemporary artists that that excite me that I would not say have some kind of link across the decades to what Bowie did. There's like all those ideas are always kind of alive in the most interesting and creative approaches to pop music, I think. Yeah, I I think that's a, a shared interest. So is it is it the characters that Bowie does? I mean, I, I mean, there's Certainly that's one part of it, but we're going to talk about two albums that are important for like these characters that he creates. So is it like that part of it for you? The him always kind of changing his character. I mean, like people love Dylan cause he like changes his like tone or style and like maybe his appearance, like wearing a hat or not, but <laughs> Bowie like creates a character like a theater performance. Is that something for you that's important yeah i mean i think the actual like character characters themselves tend to be only like kind of an inch deep in how interesting they are as you know if, if they were characters in a novel you would you would not you'd need a lot more fleshing out to f- think of them as memorable people but i think that what he did you know dylan is a very good touchstone to use like if you look at the careers of dylan and i would say like the collective career of the beatles in the 60s as well the way that they you know they were re- they were really doing the thing of reinventing themselves with each album but they didn't make that process as explicit to the listener it wasn't a transparent thing it was like a thing that was sort of being caught in the zeitgeist and i think that the whole story about making up characters is just a way that bowie was using you know partly because he's like much more than a lot of rock stars he's like a a, a drama nerd and all that kind of thing so it came natural to him but i think it was a way for him you know as a post 60s way to keep the art form moving forward to let the audience in on the artifice. And he had a very different relationship to artifice and artificiality and staginess and self-consciousness than like rock culture had advocated before him. And I think that's an important thing about what he and the glam movement in general kind of did was distance themselves through these kinds of devices from like the kind of claims of organicness and authenticity and all of that kind of thing that were really wrapped up in sixties culture and start moving it to a a different level. And I think that's what the persona changing added to doing what somebody like Dylan did, who obviously evolved stylistically all the time and actually really did switch sensibilities in a bunch of ways. But, but, fans kept sort of clinging to the idea that they're, you know, they were always like in search of the real Dylan and Bowie was always like, don't search for the real me. Maybe there is no real me. Maybe these, you know, maybe I'm just this conglomeration of fictional characters, which is a kind of extra layer of sophistication um, 
in the art form. We can turn this around and, and start things off by asking where Bowie's lies for both of you and your kind of panorama of rock music. And sure, yeah, I can I can tell you for me, um, I came very late to David Bowie. Um, you know, I I grew up in a very conservative, um, like you know, very very uh, religious Christian household. And I, I don't know if it was the glam or the androgyny or, um, you know, uh, just the, the whole package that is David Bowie, but David Bowie was never one of those artists that I heard a lot growing up for as, for as much good taste as my parents had in music. David Bowie was one of those artists from the seventies that I just never heard. And so it wasn't until I was an adult and really seeing some of the, you know, I think the first Rolling Stone 500 list is probably the first time I really went and did the deep dive of David Bowie's discography. And this was also, I was in college and this was during that period of time in which file sharing was a big thing. So I think I downloaded his entire discography and went through it. And uh, <laughs> there was some stuff that immediately jumped out you know I, I there were albums of his that you'd listen to and be like oh i recognize that song or oh that that's familiar or i've seen that in a movie or a television show or i've heard that before and the thing that really surprised me was how many of his albums would be a collection of songs where a really really great song would be on an album full of kind of mediocre you know mediocre to average uh music in in if anything it makes it hard for me to like really love bowie as an artist is if you look over his nearly 30 albums half of his albums are are pretty bad and so it's that thing of realizing like he's got this incredible like 71 to 83 run that is that is nearly untouchable but then he has all of the stuff that he does after it really up until black star where you're kind of like, man, this, is this the same guy? What's, what's going on here? Um, but I, I will tell you this last week, listening to his entire discography again, um, it is, it is really, I think moved me closer to being a real big Bowie fan than ever before, because the, the stuff that I love of Bowie I am crazy about. And then it's easy to, in hindsight, excuse some of his, some of his albums that don't connect because you realize how much those albums just sound, whether in production or in musical choices, like whatever was popular during that time. So at least it was kind of authentic to the moment that it came out, even if it hasn't held up well over time. See, I kind of, I immediately want to push back on that, though, because, like, I think that there's really interesting, exciting stuff on outside and earthling and heathen. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know that I wouldn't call his the second half of his career bad, um, but he does have um, quite the legacy to live up to. Yeah. Don't let me 
I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, I think there was, you know, post Let's Dance, a period where he kind of had like lost his artistic center for a little while. And like the Tin Machine albums are like that. Um, But I do think that like outside particularly stands out to me as something I would put maybe alongside the the peak era um, work. And bits of bits of the other albums that that you just mentioned. but it's also, you know, a, a like 13, 14 year run of being like one of the most creative artists in Bob music is like pretty unusual in mm-hmm. and of itself. And I think partly Bowie's restlessness as an artist, which he kind of never li- really lost, is part of why his work was so inconsistent after he'd come out of that kind of peak period. Cause he wanted to keep trying to find new things and not repeat himself and was really, really driven not to repeat himself. Um, which unfortunately, you know, when you've already innovated at like a high, high level for like a run of a dozen albums, like maybe you've, you've, done the things that you're good at doing and if you keep trying to do new things you'll do things that you are less good at doing um so it's you know in some ways it's both to his credit that he kept exploring and kind of unfortunate that he didn't you know up until i'd say the last two albums Mm -hmm. of his life didn't want to try to play to his strengths in, the, in some ways. And so maybe we could have, you know, I think both of those albums are really great. Black Star, I would put up among my favorite albums of his. And like, in some ways, if he'd been content enough with himself in some ways to do what most artists do in their older years, which is kind of work within the parameters they've established and try to keep doing good things there. Um, we might have gotten more good albums, but then, you know, in some ways he wouldn't have been David Bowie. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I think that's such an important point to make because the, the the restless artist is is such a feature of who he is, and even in that kind of like you know ten twelve album run that's so good, even within that, he's all over the place. I mean, it's constantly reinventing himself. For me, like Low is one of my favorite David Bowie albums, and it's such a departure from the albums that come before it. Um, you, you know, and I love that you get even within his best period a a sense that he is he's never satisfied. That there's there's always something more that he's he's going after, and part of it is that reality of doing 27 albums over what 50 years that 
that essentially that becomes the the thing working against him because he doesn't have like the Beatles trajectory. He doesn't have like this seven year run and then he's finished because if he had stopped making music at let's dance, if that had been his last album, we would look at his discography and say, this is one of the greatest artists of all time. And it, you know, but, but because of his longevity, I feel like some of that also ends up kind of working, working against kind of the, the myth-making of, of David Bowie. Well, you've just implied there that he's not one of the greatest artists or the people don't consider him one of the greatest artists. Look, it is season three and we're finally talking about him. Now, maybe that's, that's a fault on, on, you know, maybe that's on us, but, but I, I do think that for, for as many really great albums as he has, I, I don't know that there are many people that are fighting for David Bowie is the greatest musical artist of all time. Whoa. Yeah, no, I'm not sure you're right there. I'm happy to, be, I'm happy to be wrong. Let me, I guess, let me do, let me answer Carl's question or our question that Carl threw back at us. So my whole thing is I've always like kind of known Bowie, you, but the way I knew Bowie was like seeing him like pop up in Zoolander or like the Wedding Singer soundtrack just by virtue of being born like in 1990. So I never got him at the height of anything, but like, and or just kind of always seeing the Ziggy character and knowing that was part of it and then seeing things like even in high school like Flight of the Concords, like their Bowie thing which is incredible Bowie's and Spies What you doing out that mouth That's pretty freaky Bowie Isn't it cold out in space Bowie do you want to borrow my jumper, Bowie? Does the space cold make your nipples go pointy, Bowie? So, like, definitely knowing the hits, uh, somehow, just I feel like I was just kind of born knowing, like, fame. You know what I mean? Like, there's just some things you just know. Mm-hmm. Um, but even as I got, like, into music, like, as a teenager and stuff, Bowie felt like his fan base was so loyal it's just like, okay, the Bowie fans, like if you're a Bowie fan, you are all in. I was like, I don't know if I could be all in on Bowie. Right. But it's, but yeah, it's not, you know, it's not a niche in the same way that you might say about like, you know, a, a death metal band's fan, fan base. Like it's not, it's not not for you in that way. It's just right. like, oh, is, am I, is this really, is it so for me that it's like part of my identity in some exactly. way? Exactly. Like, all of that kind of thing. Right, because like the Bowie people I know, they're like, no, Bowie the person means something to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was always, it always, he always spoke to them on like a higher level than just like these are my twelve favorite songs, and they're all from a guy named David Bowie. Like he like really stood for something to them. Like I know multiple people with David Bowie tattoos. I don't have a David Bowie tattoo. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> it's just like, so that's why I'm always just like. I've listened to his discography many times, especially the 71 to like 83 stuff. And I have all that on vinyl and I listen to him plenty. And I have a stack of CDs and that I keep in the car just to always have on hand. Um, Cause I, you know, I love those records, but I'm always afraid to call myself like a big David Bowie fan still because like 
my friends have David Bowie tattoos. I've never thought about getting a Dave, like those people, I'm like, those are the David Bowie fans. Like the people who are, you know, just like really devoted, you know? So I've always, it's always been that thing, which is like, yeah, I like Bowie, but like the people who like Bowie, they are, they're, they're, they are like a, a special and unique type of person. That's not me. Am I still the person who went to like a pretty packed IMAX screening of the moon age daydream documentary <laughs> yeah i went to that and it was awesome um you know so you know which you know it, there was a great crowd there of like older people and younger people and um and i think what that revealed is what we were talking about bowie being like this like restless artist is that even though like the, his like musical nadir happens and we can all pinpoint when that is that's also a time where he's like acting like in the elephant man which I, you know, I didn't see him in that production, obviously. So I don't know if he was any particularly good, but you know, but he's still in movies. You know, he'll show up as Pontius Pilate in the Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ or something. You know, so like he's mm-hmm. acting, he's painting either in film or theater. You know, he's uh, doing dance, like really kind of modern dance, and you know, so he he's not just a musical artist, even though he is one of the great like rock stars and you know and pop stars of all time you know that's only a fraction of what he thought of himself when he thinks of himself as an artist i think that's another really appealing thing about bowie is that he's like a capital a artist and not just rock star uh yeah and i think that was one of the things that made him really important to me like i would i would say that you know, I I know the Bowie tribe that you're identifying, and I'm definitely not quite one of those people, as well. But but maybe a little closer, um, because he really did stand out as a paragon of, like, you know, as a young person who listened to rock and roll a lot. Like, there was a lot about rock stardom that I did not identify with, and that I found like macho and like kind of had power dynamics in it that I already found alienating as a young person. And Bowie was an escape from all of that. You know, for me, I think he was the only reason that I don't over identify with him is that he was among a lot of escapes from that, that I found it, you know, in my early adolescence. And for some people, I think he was like the number one version of that, but he definitely represented like a more bohemian broad-minded cosmopolitan way of looking at rock and pop music as opposed to, you know, arena rock, as opposed to a lot of the like dominant strains of seventies rock. Um, And, you know, in that way opened the door for lots of other creative things, you know, the whole sort of new wave and post-punk world. There's a huge debt to Bowie and that was all happening when I was a kid. That's, you know, and and not leaving out the ways that he, you know, whether fictionally or, or authentically or like nobody's ever going to really be able to track, like was an early representative of queerness in, in popular culture mm-hmm. and opened that space up. And that's really, really important to a lot of his fans and was, you know, sort of both exciting and frightening to me as a kid. And, you know, like the, the, all of that really mattered, too. Space invader I'll be a rock and rollin' bitch for you 
So let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag because this will certainly come up. My favorite David Bowie album is Low. Um, and, and I think that there are legitimately four or five David Bowie albums that could rightly be in the conversation for his best. And I think Station to Station is one of them. I think Hunky Dory is one of them. I think Low is one of them. But something happens in Ziggy Stardust that really becomes the propelling point for kind of everything else about David Bowie. It's, you know, to the point Carl was making, it's, it's him, I think, really learning to play with the idea of fame and what it means and kind of taking on a different persona, this different character almost as a way of, of dealing with that. I think it becomes in some ways, I think fame itself becomes a, uh, in some cases a subtle and in some cases a not at all subtle focus of so much of his music uh, during this period. But I think Ziggy Stardust is probably his best album, even though it's, even though it's probably my second favorite, I think it's his best album trying to be objective about it. It has a, a clear cohesion which not every David Bowie album does. And, and obviously I think some of that is that kind of unsettled um, kind of, you know, the, the consummate artist looking for new things, his, his restlessness plays into that. But I think Ziggy Stardust is this really incredible album that is cohesive all the way through, has some really great songs. Some of his, I mean, some of his biggest early hits come off of this album, but I also think there are songs on it that start to hint at just how broad his musical ability is, his musical interests are and kind of keeping it all together that, that there is this kind of almost like welcome mat to David Bowie that happens on Ziggy Stardust. And I, I just think that there's something really powerful about that. I mean, obviously I think hunky dory, I think can, you know, sets the stage for that a little bit. Um, but I think Ziggy Stardust is a more complete album than, than hunky dory is not, not by much, but, but I think enough that it's worthy of being our pick. And so again, for me, as you're, as you're hearing in the podcast, I really like, I really like the things I like about David Bowie, but I don't know that across the board from the self-titled album all the way through black star that I could say, yeah, I'm, I'm just an unashamed David Bowie fan from start to finish. Um, there are things I really love about David Bowie. There are, you know, Mackay and I were sending text messages back and forth about this. If I was going to do a personal 500 favorite albums of all time, seven of them would be David Bowie albums. I mean, he's, he's clearly an artist that I think a great deal of, but it's, it's really kind of either or for me, it's either I really love this or it's not for me. And Ziggy Stardust is kind of that perfect combination of objectively. I think it's a really great album. I think it's an important album in music history. And it's also one that I really like. It really does it for me. I mean, just to set your mind at rest a little bit, perhaps, like I think outside of people who've made it so important to their sense of themselves that it's like verboten for them to not like 
anything by David Bowie. Like, there's nobody, <laughs> you know, there's nobody outside of the self-selected small fanatic core who does not like have ups and downs with David Bowie, like from the beginning to the end, right? Like there's early Bowie that like, you know, is sweet or whatever, but like always that like such a misfire and there's misfires like all along the way. I think that like Bowie's not somebody who's, sense of taste among their own creations is necessarily so exquisite like you know that's definitely true of dylan as well right we find out through the bootleg albums that dylan like consistently left his best songs off of his albums for decades at a time <laughs> so and bowie's like that kind of like scattersh and also like his creative process was so chaotic so much of the time you know a lot of his work was created in the studio in process, you know, with not that much planned walking in. And so, you know, the albums were made out of whatever came out of that, that set of days or weeks that that album was being made. And so it's kind of inevitable in that kind of situation that there are going to be like things that totally click and things that don't, right? So I'm just saying, Rob, you know, I think you don't have to feel outside the loop or anything in that in that reaction. You know, when you say you put like seven Bowie albums on a, li on a list of your 500 favorites, like that's a pretty big Bowie fan. Like that's what... That's what most Bowie fans would say, I think. And they, they would have different selections of whatever those five, six, seven albums would be. But like, that's that's the way it would normally go. Carl, I really appreciate that. Uh, and thank, thank you for saying that. Because maybe it's just me and I've encountered a lot of gatekeeping David Bowie fans that are like, if you won't live and die with Tin Machine 2, then you can't really call yourself a Bowie fan. So I'm really glad to hear you say that. For you, if you're thinking about Ziggy Stardust, like... What would, what do you think is, is, is an argument for, what would your argument be for someone who's saying, Hey, I, I'm going to put a David Bowie album on a list and I'm only going to do yeah. one. What's the argument for Ziggy Stardust? I mean, I'll preface this by saying that, um, part of the reason I thought it would be fun to come and talk about Bowie is that I think Bowie is like an artist who does a very good job of challenging the premise of your podcast because like choosing a single Bowie album that's supposed to sum up everything that's great about him is like almost an impossible task, like by definition. So, so it's, so for me, like arguing about which one is on the list or off the list, I will like present cases, but I won't, but I'm not committing to them. Cause I, I think it's kind of a, kind of a fool's errand, but, <laughs> but that said, a lot of what you said about Ziggy is right to me. And like, I would add to that, that, um, before Ziggy Stardust, you know, on Hunky Dory and on the man who sold the world, which are his like good albums before that, we still haven't entirely said goodbye to like Davy Jones. We haven't said goodbye to the like hippie kid, um, the long haired hippie kid who like is kind of flipping around with like cosmic shit and like, you know, astrological shit and just like all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, which like, and he continued to be interested in that stuff all of his life, but like it really moves to the background compared to um, to what he'd been doing before with Ziggy Stardust. And, you know, that's one thing about his arc, but I think that what makes it more important in that is that like the way that he does that on Ziggy Stardust is in 
sync, you know, the way that he so often would be and ahead of its time in, in how of its time it is of like understanding that's all over now, you know, and like the ritual, you know, rise and fall that the title refers to is very much like the rise and fall of 60s rock culture and it's like self-immolation and the loss of its ideals on the basis of the both the flaws in those ideals and and the flaws in the human vessels of those ideals um you know, and like the story on the album is, of course, all over the place. And like half the songs really weren't written to, written to fit into this concept. And, you know, several of them were written before Hunky Dory and, and recorded around the same time and then like kind of reworked and all of that. So it's not like it all came as one grand statement to him. But like what he ends up doing with Ziggy Stardust is really and like, you know, and it and it plays out in the way that the glam movement happens in Britain, you know um because the glam move, movement was in essence a rebuke to what 60s hippie rock culture was it was like let's go back to simple structures and these sort of bubblegum hooks you know which Bowie sometimes does and sometimes doesn't but it's certainly on Ziggy Stardust is where he pays a lot of attention to that and does it really effectively and Let's dress differently than that. Let's think of our sexuality differently than that. Let's affirm, you know, and Bowie's a little old to be doing it, but he's, but that's usually what happens in pop culture is that someone at the tail end of the previous generation becomes the hero of the following generation. And like, so Bowie's like the leader of the kids and, you know, Ziggy Stardust talks about the kids a lot. And that's what glam rock was about. It's like, this is for like 13 year olds. This is for 14 year olds who like, forget your older brother's platform boots and long hair and, you know, commune and let's like have, let's wear plastic clothes and have fun, you know? And, and like that. To me, along with all of the virtues of Ziggy as kind of more coherent, as you were saying, like realization, I think a lot of it is the band, you know, clicking into place um, of like a, a sound that's identifiably Bowie's in a way that like the previous albums had been kind of all over the place and didn't really define a voice in quite as clear a way, you know, although they have some unbelievable tracks on them. Ziggy Stardust like captures a moment it's a moment that's culturally significant and it does all of that while seeming to shrug it off, which is a pretty cool thing. You know, it's not, you know, this is another way that it's not a sixties album. You know, it's not like Dylan anthems. It's not like posing as a grand artistic statement because it's also saying this is, you know, cheeky fun all the way along. So it like has its cake and eats it too on that level. And that's a really impressive move to pull off. And, you know, you could argue that it's the only time to Bowie really pulls that off, like in, in this kind of stark definitive way, like this is him doing something that kind of hasn't been done before. And even though it's going to provide a template for things that he'll do in the future, he might never do it with the kind of perfect kind of timing and sensibility that that happens here and like the real like ground shaking effect of it. Didn't know what time it was, the lights were low, oh, oh, oh. I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, some cat was laying down some rock and roll out of soda set. 
something that I love sonically uh, about the album in, you know, I think going back to you, you referenced man who sold the world, that's the first album that Bowie begins to work with Mick Ronson. And I think by the time you get to Ziggy Stardust, that relationship has evolved to a place where I think Mick and David know how to, I feel like that's the pinnacle of them playing together. Yeah. It's like a symbiotic relationship, right? Like it's like, you know, the key line of the album in some ways is Ziggy played guitar, but yeah. Ziggy did, isn't playing guitar. Right? It's like sometimes strumming an acoustic guitar. Most of the time, like Mick Ronson played guitar, <laughs> but like it's the two of them as kind of, using into that rock god together you know and like the famous shots from concerts of the time where they're like so physically intimate with each other while they're playing like it really speaks to that kind of mind melt they're having yeah and i and i I just love the way that so there so much of that i think plays out on the album but then like you said i think there's so much live recording during that period of time where and for as much as i love the album Ziggy Stardust, there's there's so many tracks on that album that I think are even elevated that much further in some of the live shows. I, I think I think it was really clear David Bowie loved this character. He loved this this stage show. That there was there was so much energy that came in in the live performances of this material, even to much later in his career, there was something very special about the live performances of, of the songs on this album. Yeah. That was going to be my like snotty music critic move at some point, but I decided not to make it. And it's really not true, but like arguably if you took like the live recordings from the Ziggy movie soundtrack and like one or two of the other live things and like put, this album back together out of those tracks, like it might be a better album. Oh, I actually agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I, I don't know if that's a snotty thing to say or not, but I, but I do think you're right. It would be an interesting challenge. I think I might have to do that tomorrow. Yeah. I, I agree with everything everyone's saying, of course. I mean, except for that, like this is David Bowie kind of becoming like fully formed. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's cause like, the first David Bowie album, that's David Bowie. And, and David Bowie is sure, yeah. him, himself a character, right? Which is what Carl was saying. Like, there's, you know, that's not his real name. That is a that is a name he has given himself. And the, the first record's called David Bowie. Yeah. And um, he, he's like, no, that's not right. Course correct, David Bowie, part two. But we now rename Space Oddity. And that's closer. Um, you know, Space Oddity is like this novel, you know, novelty track. But I think the last track on that album... Uh, memories of a free festival of these mm-hmm. like Mark Boland's also singing on it. That's just, mm-hmm. that's like, okay. That's like the first sign of like something like really interesting 
to come for my ears. Um, and then, you know, man, I saw the world and then hunky dory, I think is like where he's just like, this is David Bowie fully formed. And it's the most bare album that he'll have in his career. Like as like David Bowie, as we know him, like it's a lot of just like acoustic guitar and like piano mostly. So it's, it's pretty stripped down. And I think a great representation of his, I mean, he's introducing ideas of like the Ubermensch there and it's very glam with Ziggy. I think it's the first time you get a, a full, like the full, like David Bowie, like obviously doing a character thing, which is important only for like 72 to 76 because he doesn't really lean into the character mm-hmm. thing so much after yet it is something that we like so readily identify him with um but and so for therefore it's important and it ziggy stardust the the record right and also like the live shows does create a cultural revolution they've talked about before like it is um you know, just like a runaway hit, but also like it is, um, you know, all of the, the punk rock kids coming, you know, who are going to be forming bands in uh, 74, 75, you know, like they're all Bowie fans and uh, Mata Hoople fans, you know, like there's something about the back to the basics of glam that makes it, you know, like what Skiffle did for like the Beatles and their generation. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, this is pretty easy to play, actually, because they want to they're they're Eddie Cochran, but with costumes, you know, so I think that sets the stage for, you know, these people who were alive in 68 and got over the hippie dream, saw that rock and roll is fun again. And then through like the politics of, you know, the social economic kind of crises of England 1970s, right? There's all of this kind of forms, right? This this punk rock movement, you know. Um, so yeah, and it's and you know it's like that stuff happens so fast, right? Like it's e- yeah. it's easy to forget that, like you know, when when Ziggy so Stardust comes out, you know, punk is already starting in America. Like it's all it's the CBGB scene and the New York Dolls and Ramones. Like all of that's starting to happen, mm-hmm. and you know, five years after Ziggy Stardust you know, the explosion is happening in the UK. And so like, clearly like, you know, those kids who formed punk bands when they're 19, 20, they were glam kids when they were 14, 13. Like, it's like, it's such a direct line. Like, it's like, it's everybody knew it at the time. And yet I feel like it's gotten overcomplicated in our memory where it's like, no, no, no. One thing led to another, like exactly. (laughs) You know. And then by the time they were doing the punk rock thing, like Bowie was just like, was the rock star that they're like pushing back against to, to some extent. Yeah, like, for it's, sure. it's just, it's all happening so fast. This album just is culturally important in terms of its influence and it's like immediate impact and long-term, right? There are still people who, you know, do like the persona thing and, you know, make that like a big part of what they're going to do. And it even predates, you know, like P-Funk, you know, using kind of like, uh, they're kind of like mythologies and all that kind of, you know, the uh, mothership connection, all that kind of stuff. You know, it even like predates that. And he gets name checked on that album also. Yeah, I was going to say he gets name checked in the opening track. It's a cultural revolution. It's it's a it's great stuff. The thing about Ziggy Startup is, is that there's actually nothing bad to say about 
the album because it's it's a great album because it's a great album you know like um but i think that's kind of what becomes kind of hard about our challenge and what we're doing here you know like are we picking the best representation like singular representation of bowie which carl says is like pretty much impossible um are we trying to pick just like what's the best for this list so like what does that mean you know or are we trying to like say what is objectively the best bowie album which can be kind of tough but and so i can i think for right now i can only speak personally you know so when i think of what this album is you know i say okay well it's um ziggy stardust well it's a glam album you know um this is this would be the first glam album on here um and therefore maybe the only glam album on here well personally um if i'm gonna have a glam album and an album that represents you know that time and that genre i'd rather have either electric warrior or the slider by t-rex that's me personally um because i think and and if i'm gonna pick two albums uh, look at two albums from 1972 that are glam albums ziggy stardust and the slider the slider gets it for me that and again that's that's like that's a personal preference i just i love that record and there's so much stuff on here that just like points to bowie loving appreciating and borrowing from mark boland anyway like the song lady stardust like is a is a yeah. Bolin. um hang on to yourself is that the name of the like that just is a t-rex song just like straight up like 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 queen bitch on hunky dory is like this you're you're just doing t-rex mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so <laughs> for me uh it's not even my favorite glam album it's not my favorite glam album from 1972 and then it's also not your favorite bowie album it's also personally not my favorite bowie album um in the top five but not number one so you know thinking about making our list i would like to see electric warrior especially the slider make the list and then make room for a different bowie album um so that's that's just where i'm coming from that's not a great again there's not where, where are you gonna knock a ziggy stardust because it's yeah, such so, a great yeah. But, but i mean but i mean the, the, the way that you're right and i think the case against it you know, again, saying I think the case against it just makes the case against try to make lists like these and try to trying to claim they're definitive. But like, there's so much of what Bowie can do and what Bowie can be and, and the places he goes musically that are not even hinted at on Ziggy Stardust, right? So when you, if you are trying to think, there's going to be one David Bowie album to represent. David Bowie's career in some way or to like suggest to somebody who looks at a list like this, what his meaning in music history is, you know, Ziggy Stardust is one very important part of that meaning, but it's, there's so much to come that, that you wouldn't, you know, if you were taking this as this is sums up David Bowie that you would never dream of. Jamming good with wind and gale, and the spiders from Mars. They 
played it left hand But made it too far Became the special man Then we were Ziggy's band Ziggy really sang Screwed up eyes and screwed down hairdo Like some cat from Japan He could lick on my smile He could leave until high Became on so loaded man Well hung and snow white tan I think you're absolutely right, Carl, that, that David Bowie might be the perfect artist to reveal that like one album per artist, especially an artist that evolves this much over this many years is, is kind of impossible. But given that Makai, go ahead and give us your case for station to station. Why did you pick station to station? And then I'd love, I'd love to hear Carl's thoughts on this album and what a, what a good case for this album might be. I think there are like kind of four right answers maybe for this. Like I think Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust, um, and Low are all like contenders. Um, but for me, it's Station to Station. Just is my favorite Bowie album. I love this album. Um, even though it's like a scant, you know, six tracks, I think you know there's so much that happens there that is um, looks kind of in all directions of his career. You know, so, you know, uh, we do have Bowie, the character, right? Uh, or a character that Bowie's portraying, right? The, uh, the thin white Duke, right? So we, we have this new character who is here. Um, and that character is tied into a movie, right? The, the man who fell to earth. So it's Bowie in this time as an artist who is working on a film and he's working on this album and he's doing cocaine and only eating peppers and drinking milk. And he's fearing for his life from witches and Jimmy Page. We find him in an interesting time. We, we have things like, uh, uh, you know, being concerned with things like religion, like, like Kabbalah and uh, all these different things that we see before and after station to station. And I mean, just musically, you do get a little bit of the glam stuff from you know, the Aladdin Sane, Ziggy Stardust, Halloween Jack, all that's all the other characters that he's done, they're kind of, you know, that that kind of sound is there. There's a little bit of Aladdin Sane in, in some of the music. Like in TVC one five, it's not it's not, you know, a perfectly straight line, but you can see how he gets there. Um or even stay. Um but you also get, you know, a little bit of uh coming right off of young Americans, right? That plastic soul um sound that he's getting right especially like on golden years you know um a, a very different side to bowie and it's also setting up right the berlin trilogy with that opening to station to station that like 10 minute long wacky song this like part disco part funk and then part just like you know experimentation with like wacky guitar sounds tvc15 also has some just like wild 
uh, guitar sounds in there too that I think makes it one of the most interesting tracks. But, you know, so for me looking at Station to Station, even though it's only six tracks and we're trying to do this impossible task of picking just one Bowie album, even though it has like the least amount of tracks to choose from, yet it still has the most to offer when we look at Bowie's career before, you know, this time, uh, really kind of like at this time a little bit before and moving forward, especially for what we consider like his like most, you know, like prolific period. But, you know, and even what falls in the 80s, right, the big pop stuff, right, that's, I mean, like Golden Years is like a pretty big pop number, you know, so like I would say that that, that counts too. Um, you know, so maybe it's a little bit of the early 80s stuff is in there. Um, yeah, so I mean, that for me is obvious. I, I love the aesthetics of it. And when we're talking about Bowie, we have to talk about that too. Um, I love the cover, just like the, the monochromatic cover and like the that red right up top and the back cover, just white and red. It's so good that they pretty much copied it for the Changes One Bowie compilation also that year. Um, and it's the still from the movie you know of the man like going into like his like spaceship to return home and he is a man who's you know an english man who's living in la killing himself uh, with cocaine and a very gross diet you know so it's it's just bowie at a very interesting though admittedly dark time uh, though creating something that is i think sonically one of the most interesting lyrically one of the most interesting only because of what we know about him at that time that these are the lyrics that he's coming up with you know it's it's very a very desperate album i think he's kind of starved for love or desperate for love i don't i don't i don't quite know how to read the album especially considering the character of the thin white duke um but hopefully everyone will have something to say about that as well so that's my that's that's kind of my 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 pitch on station to station. be upfront and say that like station to station is like fairly far down the list of things that i would 
nominate for this position, but there's definitely a case to be made for it. Um, I think the fact that there are only six songs is actually a case in its favor because um, Bowie albums tend to get a little cluttered a lot of the time. And you're often going like, ah, if only there were like, if only we could like junk a few of these and like maybe give a little more breathing space to these over here. Um, and that's sort of what's happening on this album, right? Like these are like six to nine minute songs, a lot of them. And, um, and the, each idea is kind of explored and given room to breathe. Um, and I think the, main case for it is that it's a linchpin album you know if and i think this is kind of in its disfavor ultimately but if the goal were to find an album that kind of summed up david bowie this album kind of does that because it looks backwards to the glam period a little bit like it's before he kind of says goodbye to that kind of rock and roll um with the Berlin trilogy. Um, but it also looks forward to the Berlin trilogy, you know, TVC one five, particularly, I think, um, has, you can hear that kind of Kraftwerk influence in the ways, the things it's doing rhythmically, even while it's playing with that kind of glam rock jam thing, it's doing stuff that really falls outside of that with a lot of the things that happen in the arrangement and you can hear the German influence. Um, and there's some of the soul, um, plastic soul stuff of of young Americans still there as well. So it's taking in a lot. Um, and, you know, in kind of a background way, it's um, the debut of what they call the damn rhythm section, which is Carlos Alomar and Dennis Davis and George Murray on uh, guitar and drums and bass. Um, you know, importantly, like all people of color, like, you know, in a way that really contrasts to what I would say is the very, very white sound of, of Ziggy Stardust and the couple of albums that follow, like, Bowie's really incorporating and expanding his influences and his sense of arrangements and sounds here. And it's with those collaborators that he's doing it. Um, and that, and he'll keep working with those people for the next 10 years. Like, so it's, so it's an important turn um, towards everything that's to come. Um, so it has all of those things going for it. Um, I mostly don't like it, but it has all of those things going for it. I'm I'm not a big fan of cocaine as a as a emotional um state as of that drugs can give you. And um I think that lyrically this is one of his worst albums. Like I don't I know it's part of the sort of concept of the Thin White Duke uh to be this kind of like lost romantic and you know and i'm a huge man who fell to earth fan and like i would say that that is kind of the most iconic like bowie to me in some ways is him in that film like kind of everything that's magical about him and everything that's kind of frightening about him as well is kind of in that movie and and you know a lot of this album i think was written coming right out of the um, experience of filming that and sort of still being in character as Thomas Newton to a lot of ways. And he carries, you know, Black Star calls back to all of that stuff as well. But I feel like a lot of the songwriting on here is 
taking that excuse to um, to express the actual alienation from his own emotional center that he was going through. And like a lot of this stuff seems like it's written to me out of like no just having no contact with one's inner self at all which you know is not always a, an artistic flaw but in this case it's not like except on the title track to, to for the most part station to station you know is really interesting in the places it goes lyrically and is very experimental a lot of these songs are very like kind of mundane in in what happens in the lyrics and like in some ways seem to gesture towards an emotional palette that Bowie wishes he could contact you know but like stay you know TVC 15 musically to me I think is um the most exciting thing on it because of how much it looks forward to what he's about to do stay to me is kind of the most authentic song on it because it's the place where he really expresses that confusion like I love <laughs> the point you know the repeated line where he says well i wrote it down just to make sure i'd get it right oh yeah you can never really tell when somebody wants something you want to and it's like on some level that's kind of profound and on another level it's insane like of course you could tell when people, but not if you were like a walking husk that is inhabited only by cocaine and milk right and like you know the whole thin white duke idea to me is not a particularly exciting character it seems like just a stand-in for something that he can't help being anyway and like really like the most amusing connotation of the thin white duke is like oh a thin white line of cocaine you are just a walking thin white line of cocaine <laughs> you know and like and that really overshadows this album for me station is clearly a drug album like this this is clearly a cocaine album 
Um, and then of course the, you know, the, the year that follows it, the, you know, basically everything leading up to him going to Berlin is, you know, that, that whole period living in Los Angeles is him basically becoming more alienated, more insane in, and paranoid in all of the things that come along with the, the way he was living and the drug addiction. And so and I, Los Angeles is crawling with that at the time too. Right. You know, absolutely. like it's like California is putting out drug album after drug album at the time. So like he's in the worst and like, you know, he's talked about it a lot at the time, like it was the worst place for him to be. And it, you know, and I think that's part of why it's so important that he leaves afterwards. It's like, yeah. you know, he, this is him really caught in like a bit of a hellscape. Yeah. But I, I do think so. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of make what I think is, is a, is a good argument for station to station. And then I'm going to kind of join Carl and saying the reasons I think it's probably the wrong choice. The, I think the argument for station to station is it's brevity, even though it's an album that's, you know, 39 minutes long, like, it's still just these six songs, whether or not he is really successful in kind of like fully embracing and embodying this thin white Duke character. I think the way that that comes out in the title track is really interesting. Kind of the point you're making TVC 15 has this like so much synth. It's it's such a synth heavy song that kind of leans into like the kind of like kraut rock thing that he's about to embrace in, in the Berlin trilogy. I'm with you, Carl. I think Stay is the most heartbreaking and honest song on the album. And I love that it's juxtaposed with maybe kind of like the funkiest rock beat of the, like Stay is a song that really is uh, George Murray, his bass player on this album, kind of showing off. And the lyrical content of it is is really him kind of bearing his soul in the only in the only way he can on this album. It's like exactly the flip flip side, but in both those ways to word on the wing, uh-huh. which to me is like fails very much musically and like really exposes like how bully can kind of fall back into empty gestures that way. And then like lyrically, it just feels like the most insincere, like I'm, you know, whatever, wherever it was really coming from, like nothing, nothing of the sentiment in it lands. And yeah, those two are like such mirror images to me, like, cause, cause we're wing is like somebody pretending to be this like great romantic and stay is about somebody who like wishes that somebody he could be, but knows he can't. And it's so it's, it's, yeah. But I, but <laughs> and, I, and funky at the same time. Yeah. But, but I do think it's interesting that like you get, in just six songs, you get him doing a cover. You get this really long title track that like, for the most part really works and is really interesting. And then, like you said, you get, you get word on a wing and stay that kind of function as these mirror images of each other. TVC 15 is looking forward to Germany. And then you get golden years, which is a song he wrote for Elvis Presley. So, or so he claimed, or so, but but even if you listen to like Golden Years is kind of the standout like pop friendly hit of of this album. Like in some ways, Golden Years is the is the song that doesn't fit in with the rest of this album. Yeah, well, it sounds like it should be on, on Young Americans mostly. Yeah. But but I think that that's really interesting because you do get this picture. If if the argument is the album that best represents Bowie, here's the funk the funk music lover who's going to give you something 
really kind of heartbreaking with it. You get the person who can overreach for a song and end up falling back on cliche. You get the person who's going to build an entire character and you get the guy who can just write a really catchy pop rock song all within just six songs on, on an album. And so I think, you know, Mm -hmm. given, given the brevity of this album and all that you get to see, like, I do think that's a, a, a solid argument for this album. Ultimately though, the, the struggle from, from me with station to station and the thing that prevents it from being like one of my favorite Bowie albums as much as, I mean, it's, it's in my top five and I think it's one of his five best albums, but the thing that stands in the way of it being my favorite is six songs, even though he does so much in those six songs, it feels like way too little. Kind of goes against the, one of the principles of show business, right? Leave them wanting more. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, I w- like, that's definitely the best argument for this album to me. It's like, it's <laughs> like it gets in and does what it's going to do and doesn't meander around, you know, and especially, you know, I, this is something I care about a lot more as a middle-aged person than I did as a teenager when I felt like life was infinite. <laughs> but but now I really appreciate like feeling like every minute counts. And even though even though I don't like what's happening in every minute of of station to station, like I do feel like it's it's concentrated in that way. That that is something I do like really value as an artistic um, quality. I think that maybe, and I'm not gonna, but like, I think that there might be an equally good case to be made for heroes doing all of the things that you're claiming for station for state to station, but, um, but just being better. <laughs> I think there's a case to be made there. You know what? I'm glad you say that because I think somehow heroes is a very underrated Bowie album. Like one of the most celebrated singles. Yeah, one of the somehow underappreciated albums because I don't think people give enough attention to like that whole record. So I'm yeah, glad for sure. Because Low and Heroes for me are pretty much a tie. Same with like Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust. I can't like really separate those sometimes. Like I mostly just because I just love them equally, but also because Heroes and Low are recorded so close to each other. But no, I, I, yeah, I never really piece it together. But you're right. I think Station to Station 
you know, in low, like together, pretty much make up heroes because it is like low is just like the full on, just like, let's just get funky. Let's just, there, there are no bad ideas. Go for it. And when station to station has like such sophisticated, like rock instrumentation. And I think that he's able to actually put those two together on heroes personal opinion, but I guess that that sets mm-hmm. us up for our next question. You know, is it, you know, it are, you know, are both of these albums wrong, right? Is there, is there a Bowie album that we should be considering that isn't station to station Ziggy Stardust? Like, is this just a bad premise that we just walk in with the wrong idea already? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the case I'm trying to make. I mean, so yeah, I've, I've, I've blown my, blown my answer to this question with what I just said, but I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, the three Berlin, so-called Berlin albums, like, only one of them was actually recorded mostly in Berlin, but um, but like the three of them are kind of inseparable to me. Like I love them all kind of equally in different ways, but they're such a pinnacle to me of what Bowie did that it's very difficult for me to like, aside from Ziggy Stardust, which stands as its own like kind of cultural monument. Like if it's not going to be that to me, then, then, I any of the like I like Lodger just as much as I like Heroes and Low, like which is a minority opinion I know, but yeah, I like any of those albums for me, like represent Bowie at his like most creative and most distinctive, bringing together all the things that he created over the previous like seven eight years, and in and also I think a dynamism of responding, you know like it's the first time since you know and he's always responding to things you know he's responding to disco he's responding to funk he's responding but like for the first time since he like kind of sets himself up as the like anti-60s rock star at the beginning of the 70s there are now challengers to his throne in this way that i think like gives those albums a sense of like don't fucking come for me like i I can still i would think you i can still outmaneuver you and like you know commercially none of that worked and so he goes on to make scary monsters to try and like kind of capitalize on all of that and scary monsters is a good album too but like but not as good an album but like those three albums to me it's like he's recovered a little bit of his sanity and he's and he's still got the the creative vitality and and it's just kind of there's a kind of magic that carries through that period i think that like i if i were making a list i would choose one of them probably either lower heroes in order to um say this is the pinnacle like go go listen to this have your mind rearranged like that's that's this is what david boy could do at his very best you know i would have no problem whatsoever if our pick was my favorite david bowie album Oh, low. If low, if low made our list, I would have no qualms whatsoever about that. You, I don't know why you didn't nominate it. I mean that 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 well, seems. I, like had, I had originally, I had originally nominated it in you know some of the lists we were sending back and forth to each other. But ultimately, the reason I went with Ziggy Stardust is just that feeling of like, all right, what's what's the most important? Like not yeah. just my favorite. What's the most important? Um, so let me ask you a hard. Yeah, question. I mean that's good, and, but and but like and low has its own version of that answer too. Like I would say that like the thing about low among those three albums that makes it the right choice. Heroes is the most like to me kind of like perfect center of the, those albums. But low is the moment where that 
fucking breakthrough happens right and so it is kind of a cultural moment and it brings you know it brings the West's attention, Western rock culture's attention to all the shit that had been happening in Berlin up till then and that kind of thing. So it, it like has a kind of seismic impact as well, you know? It, I mean, it, in, in for me, like, and I'm a big U2 fan, and obviously Brian Eno is the through line there. That is so much of what I love about Octung Baby is it's clearly U2 listening to this Berlin trilogy and wanting to go to Berlin themselves and kind of reinvent themselves in the same way that David Bowie had. Arguably like it's also the anti Ziggy in an important way. Like, you know, it's where he dumps this whole arguably slightly childish idea of, of these like fantasy characters and like, but still reinvents himself anyway. And so like, he kind of like leaves the trappings of the, um, of the device that got him there behind and it's like kind of like now that i've mastered the magic trick i can i can materialize anywhere like it's suddenly you know i don't i don't i don't need i don't need the ship anymore i can i can go without it like so in some ways there's something that's exciting about low and mature about low on that level too Let me let me ask you this: If you had to choose between Ziggy Stardust and Station to Station, what would your choice be? Yeah, again, like this is just my personal emotional response to the records is super influential to this, and so like I think there are better possible boy choices among the Berlin trilogy, but I also think. Um, you know, I, hadn't, I haven't even spoken at all about like the emotional levels on which the Ziggy album, like like the beginning and end of Ziggy Stardust, like Five Years and Rock and Roll Suicide, like those are huge emotional moments and like really meaningful to me. And there are other moments on the album that are like that, along with all the like fun, kick-ass, sexy stuff. But yeah, I think that like I would I would have a harder time if we had like started with the question of like lower heroes versus Ziggy, but like for me with station to station, it's to me like too imperfect and like constrained an album for all of that has gone into it, and like Ziggy's credentials just like kind of overwhelm it. Well, Carl, I, I want to thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, you've been a guest before and we thank you for coming back. And so we've asked you this already, but 
we like to close by asking every guest for some top five albums. So that could be your top five Bowie albums. That could be um, what you're listening to now. You know, any, any way you'd like to answer that question, we're just looking for five albums from Carl Wilson. Okay. So, um, as I think I've indicated several times in this conversation, like these exercises are difficult for me. Um, and, and I think they're not the way I like to think about music, but once a year I'm forced to go through this exercise as a working music critic and make year end lists. So I'm not going to give you five. I'm going to give you 10. Cause I it's, it would have been a whole other job to, you know, I've already had to go through the process of like narrowing into a 10 and narrowing into a five would just, be i'm just not going to do it um but i will give you my top 10 from last year um from 2022 and so these are them um they're in alphabetical order here by last names and such um so the Beths from new zealand expert in a dying field just kind of a perfect 21st century indie rock album albuster de plume who's a like uk Poet and jazz musician had an album called Gold, which really took me by surprise and I really loved. Um, there are going to be a couple of Bowie references in here, possibly, and one is um, Destroyer, a Canadian artist from Vancouver who um, early in his career got a lot, lot, lot of Bowie comparisons. And his album Labyrinthitis from last year um, does all of the good destroyer things but also kind of expands in slightly more insane directions along the way and in a way that you might um that you might compare to some of the uh more theatrical bowie moments um there's a guitarist and composer named mary halverson um from out of new york who um is one of my favorite jazz musicians of the 21st century and she put out two albums called Amaryllis and Belladonna that are kind of flip sides of each other and they're amazing um, another Canadian artist Veda Hilly um, her album Beach Practice kind of a lesser known um, great idiosyncratic singer songwriter um, who by the way does a beautiful uh, cover on her previous album of Bowie's Teenage Wildlife from Scary Monsters um, Miranda Lambert Queen of 21st century country music, Palomino. Kate LeBond, a kind of very Bowie-ish uh, Welsh experimental artist. Her album, Pompeii. The jazz singer and composer, Cecile McLaurin-Salvant. Her album, Ghost Song. Everything she's done is incredible. Willie Nelson's, I think, um, something like 70-something album. Um, came out last year called A Beautiful Time and um, this is not just lip service to a legend like it's actually really I think one of his strongest albums in a kind of little run of late career renaissance he's turning 90 this year so incredible and then um, kind of to go back to like a kind of post Berlin post punk kind of period sound with all of the like post punk revivals that's been going on in the UK the past few years i really love this album by porridge radio that came out last year called water slide diving board a ladder to the sea which is just like amazing like miserableist kind of cure like rants um set to really really dynamic music so that that's my that's my top 10 of last year 
I love it. Well, Carl, thanks so much for being with us. For our listeners, remind them how they can stay up to date with what's going on in your world and where they can find your writing. Yeah. Um, I'm at Carl Zoilus, which is uh, Z-O-I-L-U-S, Carl Z-O-I-L-U-S, on um, on Twitter. And um, I don't have a currently active website. Uh, my book, uh, Let's Talk About Love, which is a book about aesthetics and class conflict and Celine Dion, um, is out there. Um, and I also just wanted to give a plug. Oh, and I have a music critic at slate.com where I publish every few weeks, every couple of weeks. Um, and finally, I just wanted to plug for your listeners a series that I help run online um, called Popular Music Books in Process, which is um, sometimes weekly, sometimes biweekly um, Zoom session where we have authors of new books about popular music come on and talk about their work. Um, and if you just look up Popular Music Books in Process, Google that, you can find the schedule and ways to contact us to get the link. Um, we've been doing that since early in the pandemic. And um, and sort of to the extent that we are post-pandemic, it's been a great way to um, expand and keep in touch with people who like talking seriously about music. And so we're, we're going to keep doing it indefinitely. And uh, for our listeners, uh, let's talk about love. We can't recommend it enough. It was originally released as the 33 and a third volume on uh, the Celine Dion album, and uh, it has been re- been re-released by Carl uh, with uh, some some expanded uh, some expanded writing in it, and we can't recommend it enough to you. So yeah, I, I'm lucky to have like a, a huge um, group of fantastic music writers who contributed new essays to that second edition. So so you know you can come for me, but like um, stay for all of their work too. Uh, Carl, it is always a treat. Thanks so much for being with us and talking David Bowie. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Micaiah, our listeners won't know this, but when you and I are working on our upcoming seasons of the podcast, we go through many iterations of our lists back and forth. And there's there's a little bit of a um, a calculus that I think we both do about what makes the best episode, especially if we're going to go head to head on an artist, what would make the, the more interesting episode. And I really thought, um, because I had originally nominated low as my David Bowie pick since it's my favorite David Bowie album. And I kind of went away from that for all the reasons we talked about with Carl that I, I think Ziggy Stardust might be a more important album 
culturally, I think it's more well known. Um, but it was interesting having this conversation with Carl and him kind of looking at both of our picks and going, actually, the Berlin trilogy is where my heart is. And so I, I'm, I'm wondering now if I had stuck to my guns and we had done this episode low versus station to station. I'm, I'm wondering if it would given, if it would have been as clear or would it, would it have just brought up different issues? Cause I do think there are great arguments to be made for Ziggy Stardust as the best album, even though low is my favorite. Um, and I do think kind of, like I said, I, I think maybe the brevity of station to station might make a case for that being the best album. But after listening to Carl, I, I almost want to see if you'd be interested in saying, let's go neither and pick low. I mean, the thing, I mean, you, you changed to Ziggy Stardust. Not last minute, but you had had low on your list for like a few iterations, few drafts of your next picks. And then on the last one, you're like Ziggy. And I was, I was bummed. Cause like, well, I thought low and station to station would have been a better conversation. Uh, because I, I I also think of Low as being this, where Ziggy is like him, like I said earlier, really riding the the Mark Bolin train. Low is where he goes to Berlin, and he's adopting the music of you know things like Kraftwerk, and through his like rock and roll lens and just like creating a new music, mm-hmm. which is not what glam is you know glam is is trying to you know recapture something from 20 years prior or so whereas the berlin trilogy is trying to forge ahead something entirely new mm. even though i like the station of station is also very unique because it it also because it isn't him being like i'm gonna do what Kraftwerk does or i'm gonna do what mark bolin or lou reed does like station station also feels very singular and i like that about it um it feels very isolated and alienated which i think works considering the place he was in in his life and that like i I think there's no way to listen to station to station and not feel what he was going through even though station to station is my favorite bowie album i mean the berlin period i would take that like period as a whole over station to station, if that makes sense. Because I mean, yeah. we talked about this when we did Welcome to, to the Blackout. I'm like, well, this is kind of everything I like about Bowie is like what's in Welcome to the Blackout, which is him touring during that, the height of like that Berlin period that we keep talking about. You know, so like that period to me is what's always been the most appealing thing about Bowie, like as a whole. Uh, so and, and when Carl mentioned it, you know, it, it, and I mentioned, you know, in our conversation that Heroes does resolve some, you know, what the the issues people would have with both Station to Station and Low and Heroes, I think, combines the best elements of both of those records. I mean, we we could say, hey, fair is fair. Ziggy won. Ziggy's the album. 
it, it would be very interesting to me if we did low versus heroes. I don't know what, what I mean, this is all, these are all new thoughts. So, yeah. So, so no, I, I, th- I think that's the right idea. You know, very similar to what we did in our first season where at the end of talking about, okay, computer, we kind of left feeling like, huh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. So I, I do think in this episode, Ziggy Stardust first station to station, I do think Ziggy Stardust is the winner. And I, and I think, and I think it's also the right call. I think, I think Ziggy Stardust is as unique a album as unique of an album as station to station is within David Bowie's career. In some ways it is so unlike anything else he does that it's in, in, in again, it's, it's an, it's an album that is hard for me to separate from kind of the insanity that's going on in his life at the time. So in some ways it, it almost doesn't feel like a David Bowie album, like the the thin white duke character is is just something different and and obviously like what we're talking about is two different characters we're talking thin white duke versus ziggy stardust ziggy stardust feels like a character more embodied and fleshed out in david bowie in a way that the thin white duke feels like this in insane fever dream that he very that, that thank the lord he very quickly gets over like once he leaves Los Angeles, is back in Europe, he kicks the addiction. Like th- things change for him very quickly once he's into '77. But there's a two-year period there in Los Angeles where it is a it's a miserable time for David Bowie, despite the great music that he's making during that period of time. Um, so he's all, all that to say. I think I think Ziggy Stardust is the right call given these two. I do wish in hindsight I had stuck with my original pick, which is my favorite David Bowie album, which is low. Um, and, and maybe it was just me not having confidence that low would hold up. And so I'm, I'm definitely down to bring Carl back for a bonus episode and and reconsider whether or not we got this one, right. I'm down. Cause and and but unlike kid a though, I would, I would do another head to head and do low versus heroes. I think. Well, listener, we need to, we need to end this. Uh, you've heard a lot of folks talk about David Bowie and most of them have been us. We want to thank our guest, Carl Wilson for being back with us. And it sounds like he may be back with us yet again, come the off season when we do a bonus episode for now, we want to, we want to ask you, did we get this right? Is Ziggy Stardust the best David Bowie album? Is this the right one to be on our list? Is it Station to Station? Is it Low? Is it one we didn't even mention? Let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod, on Instagram at You Forgot One. And Micaiah, for anyone who's listening on their preferred podcasting platform, what should they do? Well, of course, you should leave a five star rating. You can also write a review. Um, that helps us. Um, feel good about what we're doing, uh, but more importantly, helps other people find the show. Um, so, yeah, uh, please do that if you feel so inclined. Uh, also, if you want to get new episodes as they're coming out, the best thing for you to do is to like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast so you can get new episodes as soon as they drop. Um, so we because we still have plenty more albums to cover and artists to cover this season. Um, so if you want those, you know, at the ready, 
like, follow, subscribe. I love it. Listener, we're going to leave you now with the closing track from Ziggy Stardust. Here's Rock and Roll Suicide. We'll see you next week. Time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. You pull on your finger, then another finger, then cigarette. The water wall is calling, it lingers, then you forget. Oh, 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 you're a rock and roll suicide. You're too old to lose it, too young to choose it. And the clock waits so patiently on your song You walk past the cafe But you don't eat when you've lived too long Oh no, no, no You're a rock and roll suicide Shift breaks the snarling As you stumble across the road But the day breaks instead, so you hurry home Don't let the sun blast your shadow Don't let the milk float rob your mind They're so natural, religiously unkind Oh no, love, you're not alone You're watching yourself, but you're...